from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello, thank you for joining us for this episode of It Figures. I'm Anne Marie Sale, a partner in our Panama City, Florida office, and today I have with me Christy Cardillo, a partner in our Bradenton, Florida office. Hey, Christy. Hey, Anne Marie. How are you? I'm great. Well, today we're going to talk to you about the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, also known as the FFCRA, as well as the CARES Act. And Christy and I have been working through this, oh, for the last month. Because a month ago, none of this existed. We're both tax partners. I primarily work in tax. But Christy, I'd like you to tell them a little bit about your background so they can understand your expertise in this area. Absolutely. So I'm a tax partner as well in our Bradenton, Florida office. But um, before I became a CPA, I have a background in human resources and payroll. So I bring that expertise uh, to the table which, you know, usually uh, I'm helping clients on the side with stuff like that. But since we did, we had these uh, acts all come into play in a matter of a month, it's uh, become very useful. Yes, so you've, helped my background. <laughs> you've definitely helped me tremendously over this past month. I've enjoyed uh, working with you. So just so everyone understands the massiveness of these bills that we're going to talk about between the FFCRA and the CARES Act, the first one, the Families First, was passed on March 18th. That's less than a month ago. And then on March 27th, the CARES Act was passed by Congress and signed by the president. And there are two bills that provide massive relief to businesses, employers, self-employed, governmental units for items related to COVID-19. And so we at CRI have been providing some webcasts that uh, provide details relative to various COVID-19 topics. Those uh, topics can be viewed on CRICPA.com, and I would encourage you to go listen to the, some of those webcasts. Today, though, we're going to try to bring all those webcasts together and show how the different programs under COVID-19 work together. Between the PPP, the retention credits, the paid leave, which includes sick leave and paid family leave, there's a lot for em employers to digest as to which uh, program works or plays nice with others. Some work well, some don't. And we're here to try to discuss how those uh, different programs uh, play together. We're going to give you some background on each program and then talk about how they commingle. So first of all, Christy, tell me, you know, I know that you're hearing a lot about PPP and I know for the last two weeks we've kind of paused on our normal day jobs of tax preparation and shifted over to this thing known as PPP. Can you tell us a little bit about PPP? Absolutely. So the Paycheck Protection Program, it's available to, um, it's an SBA loan that has a forgivable component to it. Um, it's available to employers that have less than 500 employees under the SBA rules for affiliation. The um, Employer can apply for this loan through a SBA lender, which is most of the banks. Um, 
I know the banking community is having you work with the bank that you normally do because they have information on your lending background. Um, you can take your payroll that you paid either over 2019 or the payroll you normally paid in the last 12 months. You take that payroll, you divide it by 12 to come up with your average monthly payroll and multiply by 2.5 to come up to the amount that you can have uh, your payroll loan for. You can add, add some of your retirement expenses. You can add your group health care plan um, and the uh, state and local taxes that you pay to get to that loan amount. That loan then would get funded to you through your bank that you work with. And then you have eight weeks to use that funding to cover payroll. 75% of it can go towards payroll and then 25% of it can go towards other expenses like rent, mortgage interest, and your utilities um, that would come into play at the other end when you apply for the forgiveness of that loan. Did I miss anything, <laughs> I don't think so. I just want to stress, I think that's perfect. I think it's great. I think I want to stress, you know, we keep saying loan, but if you jump through the hoops that you so uh, great, uh, you know, perfectly discussed of the 75%, the 25%, you jump up and down and do some circles, that loan can be what we call a grant. And so um, if you're willing to uh, dot I's and cross T's and spend money accordingly and work with your advisor, um, it can be a grant and be free money uh, back to help employers pay their people. Um, Christy, can you, I've gotten a lot of questions from clients about when uh, to use these funds. I know that you mentioned the eight-week period. Can you clarify when the eight weeks starts for purposes of spending these funds? Absolutely. So that eight weeks begins on your funding date. So when you are given those funds, they begin that period. You have eight weeks to use it um, to cover those expenses. Right. Uh, right now, I think I'm working with some clients just to make sure that we plan that eight weeks very carefully to ensure that we meet those 75% and 25% tests. And um, I know that you know it's not necessarily dollar for dollar, meaning employee A doesn't have to make the same as they made last year. It may be employee A for employee B, or it may be that we can adjust um, someone's pay to ensure that the money is funneled out and paid appropriately according to the program. That really the rules that we have today uh, are what we're playing with, and those rules are that 75% and 25%. Right, and they're going to look at our headcounts, and they're going to they want to make sure that you have the uh, headcount on June 30th. That's um, equivalent to what you had when you uh, put the headcount in with the borrower. Right, and there right. will be prorated forgiveness based on what you're able to um, get back to when we get to the end of the June 30th period. Yeah. So what I'm just stressing to clients is to make sure that we know when they get funded and that we plan that eight week period very carefully. So if anyone wants to know more details about PPP, there's a webcast on it under Main Street Lending at CRICPA.com. But for now, let's move on to another program. So that was PPP. Let's move on to what we call retention credits. I haven't seen a whole lot about this. This was under the CARES Act. I know I've studied it pretty extensively, but I want to make sure that clients are aware of what this retention credit is and, and what it means for their business. 
So the, the retention credit, you, there is no amount of employees you have to have. It's open to all employers, regardless of size. Um, what this uh, allows you to do is um, pay your employees uh, wages via this refundable tax credit. It's a payroll tax credit. And it's worth 50% of up to 10,000 in wages paid to each employee by an eligible employer. Um, qualifying employers, they have to meet one of two criteria. The employer's business has to be fully or partially suspended by a government order due to COVID-19 during the calendar quarter, uh, or the employer's gross receipts have to be below 50% of the comparable quarter in 2019. So if you looked at your April 1st, 2020 to June 30th, 2020, and compared it to April 1st of 19 to June 30th, 19, and your, your gross receipts are below 50% for that prior year, you will qualify. And then what you do is each quarter you evaluate it. And once your, your quarterly comparison goes over 80% um, revenue, um, that, that you have 80% compared to that prior quarter, then you would cease to qualify for it. The credits um, get applied against um, your payroll taxes. So what you deposit is a payroll tax. And if your credit goes beyond what you have have uh, collected in payroll tax, you can apply for a um, advance, uh, the 7002 form, to get an expedited refund. And all of this will be, be trued up, is the way I refer to it, when you file your form 941 at the end of the quarter. Awesome. That is a lot to take. Uh it's uh, certainly a new concept. I know that I've heard retention credits before in the past, but they typically uh, do not relate to um, their gross receipts. So it's interesting to see that they pass something that ties to gross receipts and comparing those to prior quarters. So it should be uh, interesting. Employers need to you know, keep up with financials and make sure they're aware of what they were earning in each quarter and, and consult to, to hit the the necessary test if it if it works out for the business. Um, I want to clarify, you said it perfectly, that it is a payroll tax credit. I want to make sure that people understand. Um, can you clarify, it is a payroll tax credit, but it is paying for the wages. That's just the way it's funneled through to the employer? Correct. So that's just the way that the employer is getting refunded is through that payroll tax credit, but it is a reimbursement of the wages. Awesome. All right. So we've covered PPP. We've covered retention credit. Um, before I go into the next topic, can you go ahead and compare those two? Meaning, um, can an employer take PPP and retention credit? So no. So um, if you do the PPP loan, you are not eligible to use the retention credit. Um, we have. I know of a, a few businesses that um, weren't included. And being able to do the PPP loan, like our um, our local chamber, because they're a civic nonprofit, and our EDCs. So they're the, one of the first ones that reached out to me to say, "Can I take advantage of this?" And I'm like, "Absolutely! If that helps you to cover your payroll, because they couldn't do the PPP." Now, there's other businesses that didn't choose to do the PPP, but they can use this employee retention credit to help uh, offset some of their payroll costs to help weather the COVID-19 and and um, navigate getting through this. Right. So it sounds like if you uh, have more than 500 employees, the, the retention credit, 
might be your only option. Um, right. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Uh, next, I would like to talk about, I know that the first two we've talked about were under the CARES Act, which came out a little later. The next topic is a little more advanced, a whole week advanced in uh, legislation. Um, so let's talk about the families first, specifically the paid sick leave and paid family leave. Um, the different, what those mean for employers. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it required? And why? Can you tell us about those? Absolutely. So it's a, it's kind of a, I think when it first came out, we thought, oh, this is a great thing. And it is, but it's more of a required thing. Um, it is something that anybody who has um, 500 or less employees that uh, has an employee that is subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order, which isn't really a stay-at-home order. It's more of the business was shut down, uh, advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine due to concerns associated with COVID-19, or they're experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 and seeking medical diagnosis. So that's if the employee notifies the employer that they've been quarantined or ordered to isolate. The employee notifies the employer that a healthcare provider has told them to self-quarantine. So it's the employee notifying the employer that um, they, they have a COVID-19 order or they're experiencing symptoms and need medical diagnosis that that self-leave will go into uh, play. Um, it is a credit that the employer receives um, that is capped at $511 per day for up to two weeks, which is the 80 hours that they would have to give to that employee to take off, basically to do the self-quarantine. The emergency paid sick leave for others provides two weeks of pay at the a rate of two thirds of the regular pay subject to, to limits. That is for if they're having to care for an individual um, who's subject to a quarantine or isolation order due to, or has been advised to self quarantine. If they're caring for uh, their child, if the child's school or place of care has been closed, or child care provider for that child is unavailable due to COVID-19 precautions, or, and then, you know, my favorite is the, any other substantially similar condition specified by Health and Human Services, which basically gives uh, the, 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 um, the DOH the ability to invoke it. Um, it's paid at two thirds of regular pay. It's capped at 200 per day for 80 hours. Um, that qualified paid sick leave um, it's it's capped at 2,000 per employee. Um, and then we have the emergency family leave. Um, that family leave is <clears throat> 200 per day, 67% of their pay. And that is if, a if it's a child care issue and that's the first two weeks is not paid, the last 10 weeks would be paid. And it gives them a paid leave to take care of their children if the, the uh, school is Close or the child care providers unavailable. <clears throat> All of those are reimbursable to the employer through their, it's basically like a payroll tax credit um, covering that payroll. They can also, if they have other payroll taxes that they've been withholding on other employees, they can offset against that payroll tax deposit that they have to make. But if it exceeds that, they can use the 7002 form and they can ask for an expedited refund. Awesome. So 
you know, I did a whole uh, webcast on this. I'm impressed you got that into just a few minutes. But to just kind of recap for employers, it's pretty much if someone is sick or another is sick, the employer pretty much has to pay them and they get paid to pay them. There's certain limits. Not all is covered always. Uh, but if the employee themselves um, turns up sick, the employer will get paid for by the federal government to then pay the employee. If it's somebody else is sick, then a portion of the pay will be covered by the federal government. But if somebody is home caring for a child, you're looking at a much longer period of time, 10 weeks of pay under FMLA, where the federal government will pay the employer to pay the employee. Again, very similar to the retention credit coming through that payroll tax. I mean, it really has nothing to do with payroll tax, but that's how the money gets funneled through over down to the employer. So, you know, we talked about PPP and retention, and that was, uh, we talked about those two can't go together. How does uh, the paid leave correspond with PPP versus retention? Can you do both and, and explain what they mean by yes and no? So, the, the PPP and the family first, uh, the FFCRA, you cannot use them both at the same time. Um, and as, as well as a retention credit, if they're getting, if you're getting reimbursed under FFRCRA, that's where you're going to get your reimbursement. So they do have caveats that you, you can't really double dip and um, take them at the same time. Um, but you could have an employee that had to use the FFCRA during that, it's a long time period, and then come in later and you can get reimbursed for employee retention credit afterwards. Those two can be in tandem. The PPP loan, though, you cannot do that at the same time that you're use, if you use that employee retention credit. Those are mutually exclusive. But that, that I kind of say like the emergency, the emergency uh, family first coronavirus response, that's like, FMLA on steroids, and that's the employee being sick, and it's kind of a requirement. But you can you, you can use that in tandem with the other two. You just can't use it at the same time. <laughs> right, it, it, it's a linear thing. You can't use it at the same time, but you can use together. Yeah. So most of what we talked about today applies to most employers. Can you clarify? I know I have a lot of self-employed out there that are looking to see how these uh, programs fit. Can you touch on self-employed individuals between PPP retention and the sick and paid leave? So the self-employed individuals, they're allowed to apply for the PPP loans, paycheck protection. Um, currently, the SBA hasn't come out with any um, rules uh, on uh, or facts to explain to us how that would be forgiven. They are saying it will be. And there will be rules, but they really haven't come out to say how that forgiveness is going to work. Um, I do know that, you know, some of the banks are accepting the applications um, and they're asking for different things. The ones I've seen, they're asking for a Schedule C out of their 10, out of your 1040, your personal return as a self-employed. And if you don't have your 19 return file, they're asking for a draft of your 19 Schedule C. But there's a lot of uh, self-employeds out there that, you know, they get their self-employed income in different ways. So I would keep checking in um, and, you know, you can watch our website at CRICPA because I know as soon as that information comes out, we're going to make sure it's out there. 
Um, and I think you will see the banks starting to reach out even more to self-employed individuals once they have more information regarding that. How? Tell me, thank you for that on the self-employed individuals. Can you uh, explain relative to governmental units, governmental bodies, how they fit in some of these programs? So I do know that I've had the governmental units reach out to me about the employee uh, retention credit and the FFCRA. The, the governments aren't eligible for the retention credit. Um, they aren't eligible for PPP, but they are required to follow the FFCRA. And I think sometimes we forget that we have small government units. We have cities, we have counties that, may, that, that fall under that 500 count. And the FFCRA, they're required to give the 80 hours if any of their employees um, uh, fall into those required reasons or, or apply for it. Um, but they are excluded from everything that we've seen from having it refundable. So they don't get the refundable credit side of it, but they are required to give the 80 hours. Uh, so relative to the retention credit, I did determine for the retention credit, the self-employed individuals are eligible for retention credit. I did um, see, but that is not something that goes through payroll because they don't have payroll tax returns. So they can just apply for that through their income tax returns in the following year. And the way I, what I've read is relative to uh, estimated tax payments, they can go ahead and start reducing their estimated tax payments by those retention credits and, and possibly try to see that money ahead of time uh, through those reduction in estimated tax payments. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, Christy, do you have anything else relative to PPP, retention, sick and paid leave, and how they all play together? No, I don't think I have anything else to add except to, you know, make sure that you are keeping up with following through with how to have the forgiveness apply to any of this. And, you know, when you file your 941s and you're taking that retention credit, being careful to make sure that you read how those forms change and how you do the true up when you, you file them in uh, early July. Well, Christy, it has been fun, and I just want to thank you and thank everyone for joining us for this episode of It Figures. Uh, check CRICPA.com for more. Thank you. Thank you. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.